And I'm fucking livid that we are stuck in the timeline where Alex Jones is right. Why aren't the Amish afraid of, of COVID? Because they don't have TV. As I said, democracy is a system that reinforces authoritarian ideals. I hope I don't get canceled. Talk to you. Being a victim of a tragedy doesn't make you an expert in public policy. Well, I mean, AOC is a drama queen and she's full <laughs> of shit. Remember, they lost the Afghan war 10 years ago. <laughs> you brought a freaking guillotine. They said, you don't get to tell us no, we're in the state health department, and I said, hell no. It wasn't making Christianity better, it was making rock worse. Uh, <laughs> what what the fuck do you have on your face, Olivia? You want to make the world a better place? Have some babies, and raise them to not be stupid. I remember thinking, man, governments are not going to like this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, activists, shit posters candidates, party officials, and just people from the internet, thank you for taking a day away from Twitter and joining in for another episode of O'Donnell for Liberty. And as always, I'm your host, Justin. And before we get started, just remember, whatever platform you listen on, whether YouTube Live, Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or on LRN.FM, live on the air, you can help grow by liking, commenting, subscribing, and most of all, sharing the program with your friends. And if you enjoy the content, you can join our production team by visiting patreon.com slash O'Donnell for Liberty. Again, that's patreon.com slash O'Donnell, the number four, Liberty. And make sure to check out our sponsor, snackswag.com, where you can get all your favorite Liberty merch, including brand new designs for t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, tote bags, and more. Again, that's snackswag.com. And you can check out some of the awesome new collection of Rogue Campaign merch today. You know of a campaign that isn't hosting their own merch, they don't want to deal with compliance, they don't want to report to the FEC, reach out to Snackswag, and they can host a merch for them. A kickback and a cut-up to the maximum donation always goes back to the candidate. And right now, featured is the Jeremy Kaufman for New Hampshire collection. If you're a fan of Jeremy Kaufman, if you like what the Mises Caucus candidates are putting out there to represent libertarian candidates, you can go over, get some swag, wear your support, support Jeremy's campaign today in true agorist fashion through Snackswag. If you want to keep in touch between shows, follow me on social media and join our community Discord channel where you can chat with other fans of the show at any time. All these links can be found in the description of the video or podcast you're listening to, as well as on O'Donnell4Liberty.com. So make sure you check the description, grab that link, and give it a visit today. Now, controversy, fraud, corruption, division, hatred, war. These are all words that come to mind when describing the state of American politics today and the microcosm of American politics that is the Libertarian Party and the triggering of everything that's happened in the past two years. Now, 2016, some people wanted to go down in record as the most divisive election in history, a country torn apart based on who they supported in the run for president, families splintered, friends parted ways, careers were destroyed and conspiracies and criminal charges flowed like a mountain spring. Until 2020, when that bar was raised. And people's political identities seemed to no longer be about policy, platform, or progress, but rather about hatred and simple opposition to the other side. But what's the purpose of a political party? Is it to win elections? Or is that the job of its candidates? Is it to handle and manage messaging and platform? Or is that the job of think tanks and academics? 
maybe it's just to be a gatekeeping organization that fights over labels more than it fights to see if policies passed. Perhaps their purpose is just to keep us divided and distracted from the issues that matter as corporate lobbyists write our laws and politicians focus more on their book deals and re-election than representing their constituents. Maybe political parties aren't the tool we need to save humanity, but in fact are the driving factor behind our current struggles as a species. And the Libertarian Party isn't an exception to the problems of party politics, and in fact its small size might just be what makes its problems more obvious than focused. It's a microcosm. It's an example. It's no different than human nature on full display. But for better or worse, there's a battle going on for the heart and soul of the Libertarian Party and the Liberty Movement as we speak. And the next battleground in that fight is the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania's upcoming state convention. People from all over the country, not just Pennsylvanians, but Granite Staters, Californians, Coloradans, Floridians, people are flocking from all over the country to take fight and take part in a convention that has nothing to do with their local politics, with their local communities. Why? Why does it matter? What's happening and what is possessing people to get involved at that level? Well, joining me tonight is someone who's not just involved, but dedicated to making a difference and fighting the fight that needs to be fought to save the soul of the Libertarian Party and hopefully put it on a path to making liberty in our lifetimes a reality. Joining from Pennsylvania, candidate for the Eastern Vice Chair of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, Anthony Portillo. Anthony, thank you for joining tonight. How are you? I'm good. I'm stoked to be here. We actually just got off a uh, candidate Q&A a a little bit ago. Those are How did that go? Oh, well, there's like, they did it for all the offices. So it's like 10 people on there. So I made it to like four questions. I've noticed Adam Nutter has been hosting a lot of your candidate Q&As. Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite people in the world, man. Adam's (laughs) my boy. It's weird. As much as I love Adam, I consider Adam a friend. Um, Like we've done each other's shows. We've worked together. I'm trying to book him on a comedy gig up in New Hampshire. Um, He's not exactly unbiased. (laughs) Uh, And and sometimes that seems evident just the way he handles like someone like John Waldenberger or like some of the more cathedral caucus and pragmatic caucus people in the Libertarian Party and how they're coming on his show with the Q&As. It's just, is it really a fair representation of, well, one, can they give a fair representation of what they're hoping to do and what they're pushing as policies? And is Adam's platform really the fairest? Well, to be honest, uh, I knew Adam before uh, LP, actually. I knew him from comedy. So I think he's a good mediator because people are aware who he is. You know what I mean? Like he is who he is and he treats people how they treat him. So you know what you're getting. In PA right now, things are so contentious that I don't know that a neutral party exists. (laughs) Like we're so close to our convention right now that – conversations about the middle almost are kind of like moot at this point because i think people have kind of made up their minds so now it's just kind of like don't let's not put our foots in our mouths and like do anything stupid and we'll be okay so i mean as as i mentioned in the intro in the beginning like the libertarian party of pennsylvania's convention really is the next battleground The, the heart and soul of the libertarian party like how did it get that way like background from we are like like how did so, Pennsylvania get this way? So my honest assessment of it is if I'm 
is there there are people that exist with voids in their life some people fill those with drugs sex religion what have you uh i think there was a large group of people that the lppa became their social club and titles became kind of like you know stars in grand theft auto who could yeah. collect the most and then it, people started to realize it wasn't going anywhere they wanted to change some things and the people that that were in charge of said social club didn't like it uh and last year we got spanked we lost and we went we out recruited uh, the mises caucus is what i'm talking about but we went we did the work we recruited we grew and now we have a ridiculously awesome slate of candidates every single person on our slate is just about the work really passionate about changing PA and making PA a, the gold standard for the LP across the state. I mean, you guys are killing it. So obviously <laughs> there's a tough competition there, but you're smaller. Well, so that <laughs> we're, we're, we're smaller and we also have like a, a history and a track record of, record of success. Like there's only, there's been less than 20 libertarians elected to a legislative office anywhere in the country in the history of the libertarian party. Uh, one in Vermont, one in Maine, uh, two in Alaska and like 15 in New Hampshire. It's not like people in New Hampshire kind of just have a native libertarianism about them. Like our Democrats vote for uh, constitutional carry and our Republicans are the ones who are the prime sponsors on the bill to decriminalize drugs and psilocybin and marijuana like it, it's a weird place like especially it's really weird considering we have vermont maine and massachusetts and quebec on our borders where it just yeah. doesn't matter doesn't match up and doesn't mean but like what you said there about the libertarian party of pennsylvania just becoming a social club with the old guard just valuing their titles and their positions more than the progress and fight for liberty i don't think that's the libertarian party of pennsylvania issue i've talked a lot about how i think that's the libertarian party issue it scales up it's the same issue at the national level with all of the caucuses and if you want to look at the libertarian party as just a microcosm of the human and u.s population and the u.s political population it's the same problem with our current government um so like in reality, what we're seeing is that libertarians, when they get into positions of power, are no different than authoritarians and Republicans and Democrats when they get into positions of power. So what makes libertarians more fit to rule when we can't even clean our own house? Yeah, I mean, I'd argue some Democrats are disguised as libertarians. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I mean, there's that. Uh, I think, honestly, you get to a point where you have to just evaluate the work that's being done, you know, these are volunteer positions you're asking yep. people to dedicate time and energy into. It, are you going to ask someone to take time away from their family? So like I could give it, I'll put it this way. I could give a shit about a title, right? Like I'm on Twitter and that's it. Social media wise. I think I have like 60 followers, right? But if you, if you call me or you hit me up on signal and you're like, Hey, we got this protest. We're protesting against this thing. Or, Hey, we need to like, like I'll get in the car and I'm there. So I look at how many of those people are doing that? We just went through the whole thing in Philadelphia with the vax mandates. We were out there in the blizzard, bro. Like we got there, it was still <laughs> snowing. It was 19 degrees. I wore one pair of socks. I was, it was the dumbest shit I ever did. Cause my feet, like at a certain point, I just couldn't feel them. But I was like, those are the people that deserve to be it, the people we're looking to to guide the party's direction because they're the people that are willing to go out in the blizzard and be like hey liberty is more important to me than being at home and being warm 
it's real easy to be an armchair quarterback, man. But I look at it like if you're not in the battlefield with me getting your ass kicked too, I don't really have time for your opinion. You know what I mean? Like the guys on Twitter that like to shit on people in the party and stuff. And I mean, you know, very well, a couple of them. It's like, why waste time with that guy? Right? Like, I'm not going to ever get aggressive to a guy like that. All it's going to do is just irritate me and distract me from other shit. So I'd rather not focus on those people and try to focus on the people who are doing the job and want to do the job. And then sort of try to put that bullshit in the rear view. Uh, yeah, that perfect. Way. Like perfectly stated. I think Andrew Olding, uh, AJ Olding, is now of LP Ohio, formerly of New Hampshire. He'd moved out uh, back home to take over his family business, but he he said it perfect on his way out of New Hampshire. He's like, the Libertarian Party has a epidemic of title chasers, so people who care more about putting a line on their resume that says they did something rather yeah. than actually doing what it entails to fill out that resume slot. And that really is a problem in the Liberty movement and the libertarian party um, to an unfathomable degree in in 2020, everybody looks at the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire right now. Everyone in the Mises caucus is like, the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire, look what they're doing. They're awesome. They're great. They're fantastic. But for the longest time, and I'll throw people under the bus on both sides of the aisle here, um, a lot of the Mises people, the people who are now getting involved um, and now stepping up to do the thing, are people me and AJ had spent years trying to recruit, trying to get involved, and they just wouldn't do it. It wasn't worth it to them. Nah, didn't want to do it. They'd be members of the party. Hey, can you come help us petition? Nah, I don't feel like it. Can you come help us do this outreach event? Nah, I got plans. Like, eh, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't want to do it. But then they weren't even running for party. Like, most of the people in the Mises caucus in New Hampshire have been members of the party for a long time. They aren't actually new people. Um, but they just they didn't do anything back then either. Something changed and something clicked and got them as a group motivated and pushed forward. And that's why I threw my support behind them. Because in 2020, when we had to petition for ballot access across the state in New Hampshire, myself and Andrew Olding and maybe two other people who came out on a few days were it. We were the petition drive, trying to get 3,000 signatures after getting a fighting a federal court case to get a federal judge to reduce the number of signatures we needed during a pandemic. Nobody came out to help. Not the Prags, not the Radicals, not the Mises Caucus, nobody at all. There was nobody to help. But there were certain people in charge that really made us have like kind of a realization of like why they were there. Because like oh, Nicholas Sarwark is not only on the ballot as a candidate, uh, but is helping with party leadership and isn't bothering to lift a finger to get his own name on the ballot. Richard Manzo, he came out to petition, once collected four signatures and then went home. Um, like Brian Shields, the chair of the party, hadn't left his home in six months because he was afraid of COVID. Like, why are these people the ones representing us in the media and online and in these positions of leadership when they couldn't be bothered to lift a finger? to do the work necessary to their position and i remember the night where the mises caucus threw a meetup and aj asked me he's like hey you want to go like they're it's like we haven't been able to go to a bar or a restaurant or anything in like a year and the first night open they're throwing a party let's go i'm like i'm in and we met with these people and they all said something to me that stuck with me it's like i want to try and help and i want to try and do the work that they wouldn't do and i'm like i have zero evidence you have no compelling argument whatsoever that you're going to do that and going to follow through on that. But simply saying you want to 
is more than Sarwark, Manzo, and Shields did in two years. So yeah, you have my full support. And, and my full support entailed doing absolutely nothing but giving a few Mises Caucus members a short 10-minute lesson on Robert's Rules of Order, and then they swept the convention. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's, it's weird to me the way that people value certain actions over others. Like, I prefer the people who are out in the blizzard than the guy who just dumps a whole lot of money so he can say that he's the guy who dumps a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... I always appreciate the the workers. And when I came into, like when I first kind of looked at getting involved in politics, I had an opportunity to get involved with the Republican party in my area. And I just wanted nothing to do with them. This was like 2016. So like I'm at my ex-wife ended up being a Republican committee woman. And I'm at like a country club, listening to old people drinking like a hundred dollars scotch chanting, lock her up. I'm like, am I in fucking bizarro world or what? You know? <laughs> so I wanted nothing to do with that, but I took a look at the LP in Pennsylvania and it was like, there's no way I'm getting involved with these people. And some of that is really proven to be like kind of a premonition on my part because it's all, it's all coming to light now, which is obviously shows the Mises caucus is willing to do what needs to be done to affect the change they want to see. Oddly enough, we're also motivating people who oppose us <laughs> to oppose us even more. So it's, in, it's like, why not spend that energy on actually doing something? Like it, why hate and not like create, I guess, not sound poetic, not artistic. Yeah. In that sense. Well, well, here's the actual, here's an actual question for you because like for the longest time until recently, and like people in the Mises caucus are holding up New Hampshire and Kentucky as like the bastions of the libertarian party and who are doing it right. But for the longest time, it was Pennsylvania and Florida. Those were the states that were doing it right. In like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Pennsylvania has the most members of the Libertarian Party elected into county and local offices out of any state affiliate. Yeah, we're up to almost 200 right now. Okay, so why is there such a desperate need for change? Here's here's a fun question for you. How many no. of those are actually members of the LPPA? Well, here's a funner question <laughs> for you. Why does that matter? Are they uh, libertarians? It, and if they're not a member of the party, why does that matter? Because if we want to count members of the party versus partisan registration or whatever, then I can tell you there's about 15 Libertarian Party of New Hampshire members currently serving in the New Hampshire State House. They're not registered libertarian, right? But they're dues-paying members of the party. Yeah, and I mean, and I say that not to like kind of shit on yeah. that at all. I'm just saying I think that the support and resources that a party the that the party could potentially have if steered in the right direction could make that 200 300 and 500 so it's like if a guy's running at, for school board as a libertarian he should at least be on the state party's radar there should be some mechanism in place to say hey so and so is on the ballot why aren't we reaching out to him and see how we can support this guy what kind of help he needs and what we can do regardless of whether or not he's a dues paying member because the purpose of the party is to advance liberty so i i agree with you in that regard i just mean i think from my perspective if you're a leader of an organization like i used to plant churches well i have if i'm in charge of a church in virginia and i'm in pennsylvania all the time i can't always have contact with those people so it's it's one of those things where you have to 
look at your organizational structure and be like, what can I do to put those people in place so I don't have mm-hmm. to be in Virginia? Sure. And so if the party is doing what it's supposed to do, the counties will be resourced to be able to have something for reaching out to libertarians in the area for promoting people who want to run for office and things like that. And I think it's really lacking right now. Sure. Uh, but like, it's how much of that is actually the party's responsibility. And here's my ignorance on Pennsylvania politics. And like what I've been saying in New Hampshire is there's a handful of people out here who are like, Oh, I want to run for school board. I'm like, that's fucking great. Go do it. They're like what kind of resources is the party going to give me? I'm like, none. Like the party doesn't give resources. Um, like if you were to go run as a Republican, you'd get nothing. If you were to go run as a Democrat, you'd get nothing because it's a nonpartisan race. So right. if you need help from the party, it normally means that you're not ready to run for office. So I think I think I'm I maybe I'm like a, a step away in like well I don't know like are your offices partisan or not so do, do they I'm, actually reflect on the Libertarian Party if somebody if somebody running and they're registered as a Libertarian do they show up as a Libertarian on the ballot for school board I believe so yeah okay then that's a whole different story then that's something the party should care about gatekeeping their name their policies and their uh, principles. And I think a big picture, so I'll give you a for instance. Here's the thing I'd like to see, because I said what I said, and then I kind of screwed it up a little bit, to be honest with you. Uh, it's more like right. one of the things I would like to do is put together a database of offices, roles, and all that. It's, yep. it's one thing to get people elected, but how do you give them the tools to know what that office does, what their responsibilities are, how they can use that office to affect change, to advance liberty. So I think all of that is like an all-encompassing thing that if the party is, I, I mean, it's sort of like a necessary evil. I don't want to sound like I'm defending the need for that LP because <laughs> I really am not like an apologist for it. You know what I mean? But I do understand from seeing the other side, it's like from seeing the Republicans, like, dude, I've seen these fundraisers where there's uh, 200 people paying a thousand dollars a plate to get Brian Fitzpatrick elected to Congress. Like mm-hmm. that's as libertarians, you're not going to com- be able to compete with those dollar values. So I think the best course of action is to equip the people to get boots on the ground and expand their numbers. So you can have like an actual, viable vehicle to get libertarians elected as libertarians because there are a lot of people in pa who are against libertarians running as republicans i don't really have a i think Rand paul's the best senator we have right now to be honest well senator maybe but that's a really low bar um oh i agree (laughs) uh he is not his father's son for sure oh definitely Uh, not definitely not but I wouldn't be curious to talk to his neighbor just one time. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you feel the need to break four <laughs> right? of his ribs? Um, but no, okay. So you you want to create a database and an infrastructure to help libertarians get elected as libertarians? That's noble as hell. That's great as a partisan for the Libertarian Party. Um, I am not as strictly partisan as that, so I have questions and curiosities about like. One of one of the greatest things I've ever seen a Libertarian National Committee rep do, an LNC rep, um, was Starchild. And I know a lot of Mises Caucus people hate Starchild because he's definitely a radical slash prag and would wear just a freaking thong or a bikini to an LNC oh, meeting. Okay. I know yeah. you're talking about now. <laughs> um, but when the LNC had to fill out our conflict of interest sheets back, I was on the LNC at the time. Um, 
and we had to list our conflicts of interest. Now I listed things like I'm on the nonprofit of Emer I'm on the board of Emergent Order Limited. I'm on the board of a couple other nonprofits, and I was also working on a campaign that could have been a conflict of interest with the party if the party decided to fund that campaign or do anything. And then I was working on a couple ballot measures. Like I had legitimate business type conflicts of interest. Uh, Starchild listed the Liberty Movement as his conflict of interest. And when pressed to ask, like, what? He's like, if ever there's a time where the goals of the Libertarian Party do not align with the goals of the greater liberty movement, I will side with the movement over the party. 100%. And our goal in Pennsylvania is to get the party more aligned with the movement. Because right now, the, sure. part, the movement doesn't really take the party seriously. Okay. Here in New Hampshire, the big thing our critics the, and the critics of the Mises Caucus are coming after New Hampshire Libertarian Party for is the fact that we've really embraced a close working relationship with Liberty Republicans. Um, where, like I said, we have more than, more than an insignificant number of Libertarian Party members currently serving in the State House as... Uh, Republicans, including one who's the father of one of our most vocal critics, one of our biggest out-of-state critics who doesn't live in New Hampshire, who says that us supporting Republicans is evil, doesn't realize we're supporting his father, but <laughs> who is the current sitting state rep in New Hampshire. Um, but it's like through these relationships we've been able to get, and it, there, there are 40-plus outright dedicated, blatant, bold self-proclaimed people who will not shy from the fact they are libertarian who will get up on the house floor and give a speech about taxation being theft and anarchy being preferable to government and say i'm a libertarian on the house floor elected as republicans there's about 40 of them that's about 10 percent of our state house we also have an organization called new hampshire liberty alliance which is a nonpartisan um political group that grades bills and grades representatives um, oh, and okay. they are very libertarian uh, to um, their entire board of directors are members of the Libertarian Party. Um, all of their top bill reviewers are members of the Libertarian Party. Several of their bill writers, myself included, are members of the Libertarian Party. Um, so the Libertarian Party has a pretty indirect but direct influence on what legislation is introduced in the House in New Hampshire. Um, their grades on the voting records has over 130 of our 400 state reps as graded b plus or better on the libertarian oh, wow. voting record that's awesome so why would we run against them right <laughs> i agree i agree and here you know like one of the things i i was fortunate enough to be involved in some of the stuff with was the don't tread in philly movement which uh, shout out to audrey danielle and don't tread on philly because they did amazing work fighting against the vaccine mandates and seeing how much we could spread beyond just the LP or the Mises caucus. Like it started with a few people from the Mises caucus. And I went, we, the Mummers have a parade every year after New Year's. And we went down there and were protesting the mandates with Democrats, Republicans. There's people of all walks of life and all political philosophies that are like, hey, we can unite on this one thing. Well, then after we do this, how about we sit down and break bread and figure out where else we can align? Right. If we're not doing that, we're not really affecting change in our community. We're just affecting libertarians. You know what I mean? Like it's yep. you have to have a willingness to look at people that you don't necessarily align with and try to find the common ground. 
like I want to run for state rep because I want to see change happen. And if the path to that means like, hey, I got to put an R next to my name, I'll consider it <laughs> if it's a viable path because why not? Would you why consider not? putting it's a D next to your name if it's a if, viable if, path? If it's a viable path, yeah. So that's honestly, yeah. honestly been one of my my big criticisms of participants in the Free State Project and the Liberty Republicans here in New Hampshire, um, and where I, I do start to agree with the Sarwarks and the Andy Craigs and the others who say, all you're doing is supporting Republicans. I'm like, no, no, no. If one of these people would ever run as a Democrat, I'd support them in a heartbeat if they were running in a Democrat majority district. It, like, is getting elected and accomplishing the goals that you're running on is more important than what party is next to your name, in my opinion. But there are a good number of libertarians, free staters who say, oh, I'm going to run as a Liberty Republican. I'm like, okay, but your district is D plus seven. Why not just run as a Democrat? Like right. at that point, just do it. Like, and I've joked, I, I, I've joked, I live in a state Senate district here in New Hampshire where we have one of the oldest living state senators in the country. The guy's almost a fucking hundred. Um, and he, he wrote a book about himself called the lion of the Senate. Cause he's been in office since the Carter <laughs> administration. Um, the guy's a self-obsessed narcissist and a nut job progressive uh but he's like on death's doorstep he's gonna die like any day now <laughs> and i've joked with people like i'm gonna run as a democrat for that seat like I wouldn't. And, and some of them like oh hey you might win i'm like yeah see because yeah. they've the free there's been a free stater who's run against him every year um, and she usually runs Republican. We've actually run her as a libertarian before. We've run her as a fusion candidate before, trying everything to go after him. And I get it in that case because you're not going to win a primary against him. Um, but, like, if it's such a deeply entrenched Democrat district, slap a D next to your name. Get in and do liberty shit. Right. Exactly. I think it, people get too caught up in that shit, <laughs> in, the, in the title stuff. It's like when I was in the church world, uh, I was in the charismatic church. You know what I mean? Speaking in tongues, people falling over, all that crazy shit, right? So if a Baptist pastor ever emailed me and was like, hey, I think you're a her heretic, but do you want to come preach at my church so my people can rebuke you? I'd be like, hell yeah, what day do you want me there? Because how am I going to tell people that I believe in what I believe in and I believe what I'm saying if I'm not willing to like work to try and at least meet people who disagree with me somewhere? Because ultimately, like I'm, I'm all for individual liberty and and all that. I'm an anarchist. I want people. I want everything private. I don't. Tr I don't want the government to have their hand in anything. But I also recognize that you can't have that without community, and we're all wired for community. And if you want some anarch, anarcho, uh, anarcho polco, or sorry, I don't know how the fuck to say that, but um, but like if you want something like that to really exist, you're gonna have to get it agree with people who you don't agree with all the time if you're in a relationship how often do you agree with your partner you have to be willing to compromise sure. on everything but principles and your core values well and so i mean compromise is a touchy word and i'm not a fan of compromise at all because as someone who is like an anarcho-utopianist and like i believe it's possible i don't think it's possible in my lifetime but i think we can move the needle so my grandkids can have the fight about whether or not government should exist in a meaningful manner um i don't like compromise because we started out really great 250 years ago this country started out really <laughs> really great and some people had some ideas and it's like oh let's compromise Okay. Right. Five years later, somebody had an idea. Oh, we'll compromise. And it just slowly inched 
to suspending posse comitatus and like <laughs> waging war against the states. Like, who knows? We've seen martial law declared in Canada last week. We're not far no. behind. Like, at any given time, that could happen. We don't know. Or, um, if you listen to mainstream media, we're on the verge of World War III, and they might need to reinstitute the draft. Who right. knows? Who knows what next week is going to bring in this uh, country, never mind next year. Um, so compromise isn't something I'm too keen on when it comes to politics. But recognizing allies on issues is incredibly important. And yeah. Rejecting tribal partisanship is incredibly important to me. Now, when I say I don't care if you run as an R, if you run as a D, or if you run as an L, as long as you get in and can accomplish the uh, moving the needle towards liberty, that's what matters to me. When you get in, you must not let that cult of that tribe keep you from recognizing allies on the other side of it. And a great example of this is um, when uh, CACR 32, a constitutional amendment to peaceably declare secession from the United States, was being heard in um, the House Federal Relations Committee in New Hampshire. I went to testify in favor of the bill. Not that I thought it had a chance in hell of passing. I just thought it'd be fun. At this point, like, yeah, let's put a ballot measure to secede. I, I'm really curious to see, like, how high we can get that number. I think it'd be, like, 30% and people would be terrified. But the chairman of the committee, who's someone I, I'll consider a working friend. I don't have any animosity towards him. He's a Republican. He's not one of the 40-ish that'll stand up and say, I'm a libertarian, free stater, fuck your taxes um, but he is graded as a libertarian voting record down the line follows the gold standard that's issued by nhla and he, he's a liberty rep through and through when i was talking to him after the committee hearing and we pulled aside and we were talking about some other bills that i wanted to talk to him about um that were more serious in nature he started going on about the dumb progressives and the lefties never work with us on anything. And some of the establishment Republicans that are just pieces of shit. And I'm like, well, what, so not all the Dems are bad. I mean, look at that kid. And there was a, another state rep on the committee who's a Democrat and a progressive. And I'm like, I, I think he can be brought over to work on Liberty issues. It's like not him. He's a, he's just a dumb leftist. I'm like, really? Cause he, he voted for me. He helped with my campaign when I ran as a libertarian. Uh, he sponsored one of the decrim bills. Uh, he's trying to work with Liberty Republicans on getting psilocybin decriminalized, uh, but you won't even acknowledge any of that because he's a Democrat. Yeah, it's that's insanity to me. Like it, there are issues to me that are important that I want to see happen that I want to personally work on. I'm like they they don't yeah. like like one in particular is harm reduction and right. decriminalization it's like that shit doesn't care if you're libertarian democrat or republicans i have friends on all sides of the aisle who have died or 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 had people in their lives died my sister died from drug addiction i had literally in the my high school class and the graduating class before me had like 520 kids 230 of them are dead in the last 20 years since graduating high school it's like People in my area don't give a shit what is behind your name if you're asking them, like, hey, do you support this kind of stuff? So I look at that like, man, we got to get people involved and get change happening regardless of, you know, the regardless of the way that you do it. And that's what I mean by compromise. Like, I don't ever want to compromise my principles or my core sure. values. But I also recognize, like, in my area, right, I'm like, I have a Democratic state rep who's ran unopposed for 16 years. No Republican is going to win here. 
So how do I win? Well, you lay the groundwork by getting shit done that's going to support the people in your neighborhood. Like for me, that's rights restoration. I think you do the time, you do your crime, or you do your crime, you do your time. You should have all your rights back, right? It, it, as long as you will get into particulars about violent crimes and all that shit. No. I'm sort of the mindset. I'm of the mindset. If we all had guns, we'd have less gun crime. But I'm a kook for thinking that. Yes, hey, I, I'm of the mindset. <laughs> I don't. I don't care how violent the crime is. If the jury and the judge said you only needed to be away for ten years, that ten years is your sentence. And and I agree with that. It's I mean, shall not be infringed is pretty clear. So things yeah. like that are, are big D- drug decriminalization, especially weed and psilocybin. I mean, how many people you think get arrested in my area for mushrooms? Probably there's probably been like two in the last three years. You know what I mean? So it's like, why can't we get something like that passed? And then you start to gain a little steam. And then when people are like, hey, how'd you get that done? Oh, well, the Democrats and libertarians worked that out in Bucks County. Well, here's the problem. You just said it. You said it right there. Like, how many people in your area have been arrested for mushrooms and psilocybin? Maybe like two. So this, when you start pushing that bill, you're trying to build popular support for that bill, and you're trying to get pressure on politicians to support that bill. It's not there. Because the people people who care about it don't care about it because they're not actually affected by it. It, it, They don't care that there's a law on the books because they've never been caught. And Let's face it, mushrooms, as much as I want to see them, as much as I think the legalization of mushrooms would be a dramatic and incredible benefit to poor people, to minorities, people who don't have access to traditional mental health treatment, it's a yuppie drug. (laughs) It's a rich white kids in suburbia (laughs) drug. They don't get arrested. That's a fair point. Um, like so like they don't care and they're not involved and they're the apathetic voter who's not going to get behind the push and like the people who would really benefit aren't even aware of what they're missing see i look at the mushroom thing is like hey we can get people behind weed decriminalization and then we could just follow up with mushrooms because like hey what's we got weed why not no one's getting in trouble for this i, I remember <laughs> once we, we were at a new hampshire liberty alliance meeting and one of the republican state reps stood up and she said and this is at the time where we had libertarians in the house we had a handful of elected libertarians it was a small caucus there was like three of them and she stood up she's like hey can one of the libertarians submit a bill to legalize heroin and we're like, the fuck? And she's like, it'll just start the conversation. And after they get flipped <laughs> out about heroin, we can get weed through no problem. I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, I don't want to use the libertarian. Like, I want to use the libertarian party to move the Overton window, but like, right. not in a way that just discredits libertarian. Right. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't start at heroin. I mean, Which, here's the thing: is that I don't want to write heroin off the books. Right, right. I mean, because it all comes down to harm mitigate, harm reduction, and mitigation is and treatment instead of uh, arrest. Like th- that matters, and that's a that's a very important distinction. Um, and it got to the point where, like, after she said that, we thought about. It, I'm like, ah, fuck. Me and my friend started showing up to protests with a sign that just said "re-legalize cocaine." Right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, should, that's the discussion. Like, let's talk about how cocaine used to be normalized in the workplace in the 1970s and 1980s, and we everyone missed the ball on decrim then. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. If there was a push to decriminalize cocaine in the 70s or 80s, you would have had senators testifying, like, yes, it makes us so much better at our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> right. I used to collect old books. And I actually had a page from a Sears Roebuck catalog from like the early, it was like black and white from the early 1900s. And you could buy liquid opium and cocaine 
and they would, they would drop it yeah. over your house. With a machine <laughs> gun. It'd come in the same package. Sears Roebuck did that. Yeah. <laughs> like you could crazy. buy a you could buy a Thompson machine gun, a hunting rifle, and six ounces of cocaine. All in the same package. Like, what happened to that America? But that also highlights the importance of the liberty movement as a whole, because yeah. all the, the government exists just to make itself bigger and to kind of stamp its claws deeper into you. The COVID sure. regime was such a proof of that. You know, if they could have if they could have got away with that OSHA mandate, it, uh, who knows where we'd be. And it, it's, I mean, look at the way the priorities of the establishment right now. They're, the truckers in Canada are not like the main story on every news network in any positive light in terms of what they're standing against. But, you know, like either is uh, Epstein's friend hanging himself in a jail cell. So it's like, how are, how are we as libertarians going to be able to communicate our message to people who aren't hearing the message? That's, that's the only way I see it is by, by doing those things like that get us across those aisles. It, no, you're right. But like you, you talk about the COVID regime in Canada and all the things going on now. And like, the problem is like, whenever somebody proposes like an innocuous change to the law, like gay marriage, innocuous doesn't fucking affect anybody like even a lot of the religious institutions that opposed it 30 years ago have come around like yeah yeah oops we were wrong um like it it's always an argument that they use called slippery slope it's like well if this then that if this then that if this then that it's the slippery slope of what if what next and i remember when marijuana legalization first started to become a thing was on the ballot in massachusetts and california and people were like oh no they're gonna do it it's a slippery slope what next heroin and crack i'm like yes yes that is exactly what's next but at the same time like how can we never ask what's next after the philadelphia police bombed a civilian neighborhood and killed a bunch of people right. how come we never asked what's next after the atf shot up a church in texas and killed a bunch of women and children how can we never asked what's next when the federal officials went on a manhunt after nobody in the woods of idaho and killed a family like why don't we ever ask what's next because what's next after that is Canadian police and military ripping people out of their vehicles, dragging them back to their homes, putting them under arrest for their Facebook posts and their Twitter posts. And then there's a picture that went viral. And I'm not a nationalist. I'm not a flag worshiper. But there's a picture going around on Twitter right now of a Canadian stormtrooper standing with his rifle against someone's head on top of a Canadian flag on the ground. And, like, what's next? What's next is you see American troops in the streets. You see Americans like that staff sergeant in the Army who went on TikTok saying she'd be glad to shoot anyone who didn't follow her orders. What's next is you see Americans taking up arms against each other because that's the slippery slope that started when the government thought it was okay to shoot its citizens for noncompliance and peaceful protest. And the biggest issue that we have is that the people don't hold the our, our alleged representatives accountable for those things. No one's ever honestly addressed, like, I, I love that you went the Waco route because it's like, yeah. hey, 
if we didn't have Ruby Ridge, we probably wouldn't have had Oklahoma City. Where's the government? Like, if we didn't arm uh, is or uh, you know Middle Eastern militants, we probably wouldn't have had nine <laughs> eleven. Like, yeah. it's do you not see that the government's doing this, and you're still going to trust those people with experimental drugs on you and your kids? Like, you've <laughs> lost the plot, in my opinion, in that regard. So it's like, how? That's the fun question for me. Is like, how do you reach those people? Because I've seen like the worst of it in this regard. It's like, yo, you don't. You, how do you trust these people? They have none of your interest at heart. They don't live in the same reality you live in. It's not so affecting the them. Is, like, should you reach them? Here's an actual, honest question: Should you waste your time reaching them? Should and, you actually get to them? And like, I, I used to be of the opinion that you could convince anybody of anything. That if you spent enough time and enough logic, you could convince anybody of anything and bring them to your side. You could meet someone where they were. You could speak to them with their own emotion and their own compassion and bring them over to your side. And I'm not sure that's true. The more I've lived in New Hampshire, the more I've interacted with other libertarians in the social setting. Because here, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire is not my social club. However, my social club is entirely libertarians because that's just the community I live in. But I've started to realize that the reason I can have open conversations about agorism, anarchy, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, ending taxation, and I can just have these conversations in restaurants with waitresses and bartenders and normal people that my comic shop when playing magic the gathering with strangers these conversations are commonplace and normal and i think it's a matter of culture and it's a matter of the way people are brought up in their culture and a matter of how they think and how their moral structure is comprised because i think libertarianism is not a political philosophy but it's a core component of your personality and who you are and a belief and a desire for human liberty is so fundamental to your personality and to your moral groundwork that it just shapes your politics. And I think we're a minority. I do not think the majority of people share our moral framework. And that is why they turn a blind eye to these grievances against their liberty, to their uh, oppression of their freedom, to the stripping of their rights, because it doesn't go against their moral framework and their understanding of liberty and their understanding of freedom. There's an old saying that you can't free a slave if he doesn't know he's in chains. Right. The majority of Americans in this country don't know they're in chains. So how can you free them if their idea of freedom is so fundamentally different than yours? And maybe, maybe if we just look at a like, grand scheme of a maximum possibility we have like what eight to nine percent of the population would identify as libertarian given the opportunity and uh, embrace libertarian ideals of human freedom and human liberty and free market exchange and voluntary cooperation and voluntary welfare like maybe nine to ten percent of americans how can we ever get majority support for our policies if less than 10 percent of people even share our values and at that point is politics even worth it is the political party even worth it or is the answer and here comes my preach but is the answer no longer political involvement is the answer counterculture agorism counter-economics leaving the system escaping the system mass migration and intentional communities is the free state project is the idea of just getting everyone who agrees with us together to the point where we can be the majority in our own geographic region really the only way we can accomplish liberty in a macro scale yeah it's uh 
that's a question I struggle with a little bit, to be honest, because my ideal situation would be like, Hey, who am I going to decide to buy a couple hundred acres with and how are we going to split it up and, and, and do our own thing and homestead and all that. I, I love that idea. I but then, you should talk to up here in Manchester. So, <laughs> <laughs> but then also there's the person in me who's like, you know, I'm, I don't want to ever think that people are beyond redemption, you know? So like I, I come from a place where like, my so like my my abuela is from cuba like mm-hmm. bad like 15 people in a one-bedroom apartment type situation where they have like patterns that they slept in on the floor so everyone could fit it's like how how do i honor like what risk she took to come here so that i could have a better life if i kind of run and hide from the tyranny like i'd almost rather die in the fight against the state than like run away from it as how much is, as i love that idea how is running so and hiding from the tyranny any different than what she did she took a risk she fled right. she ran and hid from the tyranny and you got a better life because of it but maybe you running and hiding taking a risk fleeing from tyranny means your children have a better life because of it yeah and that's the that's the conundrum right <laughs> like that's the and here's the thing maybe your abuela is somebody who shared those values she her and her family and those she fled with shared the values of human liberty and freedom they weren't willing to live in impoverished conditions under a tyrannical communist regime so they fled for a better life not everyone has fled right. there are and the majority of people have not fled the majority of people are comfortable with their circumstance because let's face it the poorest person in cuba today is amongst the richest 1% of people to have ever lived on planet Earth. <laughs> yes, that's a fair point. Yeah, it's a, you know, I want to I want to put my kids in the best position to succeed in life and I want to teach them good values and things like that. Now like my son's about to be an adult on Friday, right? So it's like <laughs> at this point I'm like I hope I modeled that for him. But then the funny part of that is, you know, like I'm in my head, I'm like, my kids are grown, man. Like, am I going to keep the house when they leave? Like, what am I going to do? And my, my son's like, Hey dad, you know, it'd be pretty awesome if we had like a a farm. (laughs) He's like, you know, that would be cool. If I have my own space, you had your own space. I'm like, you know, that would be pretty awesome. (laughs) So it's like, Hey, maybe those principles I've instilled in him have led him to that path. And I'm like just resistant to it because (laughs) I'm stubborn. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and honestly is a great comment here in the chat from the salt lakers that brings up the some nation of the point i was trying to make is why would you lay down your life for somebody who would just assume flip you off in traffic to get to their shitty job to pay for the car that drives them to work it's a different value structure people value different things in life you value your liberty and your freedom they value their monotony in their day-to-day they don't care that they can't have a gun they don't care that their vote doesn't matter they don't care that 30 percent of their paycheck is taken in taxes every year they care that the same routine happens they care that there's food on their table they care that there's food on their neighbor's table they care that the social security benefit is paid out and this is something i struggle with because libertarians we always talk about how we want to end things like social welfare programs because they're a burden on people who don't want to contribute to them when the reality is i don't think we should want to end welfare and social security we should want to allow people who don't want to participate in them and who feel oppressed by their existence to simply opt out of them and the opting out of it is to move to a libertarian homestead because i think the way the amish have done it is perfect they've gotten exemptions 
from these right. things. They just don't participate. They said, fuck you, back to the United States government, and they opted out. I think that's a cleaner, that's a safer, and a more effective way to preserve your individual liberty, preserve your income, preserve your wealth, and save and prepare the next generation for that fight. And that's a, a fantastic way to put it, because the reality is, I care about my family more than I care about yours. And yeah. I hope you feel the same way. Absolutely. So why, why should we as people who value freedom and liberty and opportunity, lay down our lives and our and take up the struggle for someone else's freedom when they don't even value it, they don't even want it, and they will fight against us to keep from getting it. Yeah, I, I and I actually agree with you there. There are people yeah. that are, are beyond hope. You know what I mean? There's I have friends that I used to ask for my political takes and then we had one conversation about the vaccine and i might as well be satan himself you know what i mean so it's like we haven't talked literally since the vaccines became a thing because i'm like a crazy anti-vax kook and i want people to die it's like dude i'm not like i send my kids to school too i don't want them to have to wear a mask that doesn't make me an asshole because you're a pussy right but also i i give a shit about like my neighbor who i talk to and he's like, dude, the fucking bacon is 11 bucks at the grocery store. And I got COVID because my work forced me to get a vaccine or I'd lose my job. I'm like, I want to fight for that guy because, like, I know that guy and I give a shit about that guy. And I think that's the difference, which gets into, like, the culture context. It's like, if you genuinely treat people with respect and dignity... They don't get that from people, especially political figures. You'll see who they are by how they respond to you. And you can make a really quick determination of whether or not that person's worth your time. And the people who are are the people that I mean when I say, like, I want to fight for those people because I think those are the people who, with a different personality and a different, you know, bigger set of balls might be in the fight themselves. Or maybe if they just had a path to it. You know, I talk to people about liberty all the time, and I probably have six people's phone numbers in my phone now that I've been texting just because we sat next to each other at the fucking hibachi place. Right. Cause he was like, he was like, thank God we don't have to wear a mask. I was like, bro, I'm telling you. And then, like my girl was like, hi, like I'm here at dinner with you. And I was like, Oh, I'm talking Liberty stuff. Just this <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, Hey, I want, I want that guy to get involved. Cause that's like, so I think there's obviously nuance to all that stuff, but it's, you know, I like I called myself an anarchist, right? But we go back, if I go back to like the heroin thing, it's like I sort of do want to legalize heroin, right? But right. I want to do it in a way that's like, how do we legalize heroin and improve people's lives in the process? Which, if you ever, if you're familiar with, uh, there's a great guy on the subject, Johan Hari. He's talked about uh, addiction on like a deep uh, level. And they talk about like Rat Park and what happened in Portugal. Portugal basically had state-sponsored heroin clinics, but they also attached an incentive program to employers to where government was paying half their people's salary for a period of time. And over the course of time, they found as people's lives improved, they wanted less and less heroin. And they had like, they literally had one of the worst heroin problems in the world. And it's down to like below 5% at this point. Like, why wouldn't I support that? if it's going to save literally like save people I know's lives if it 
will stop one kid from losing somebody like you know like that's even look at the people who are irredeemable and like back to like just strictly looking at the drug war not not political just the drugs and addiction Mm -hmm. looking at the people who are irredeemable some people just want to get fucking high they don't care they they can be in the best position possible and have every opportunity i don't care i just want to do fucking heroin and i understand that Weirdly enough, I've had an experience in my life where I was in the worst pain imaginable after being in a car accident and my appendix had burst and I was in the emergency room screaming match with a nurse and like I'm dying. She's like, You have kidney stones. I'm like, You're fucking retarded. Um, uh, back and forth between they finally determined it's like, Oh, your appendix had burst. I'm like, no fucking shit. And they give me a fucking fentanyl drip. And while in the worst pain of my life. I watch as a doctor and fucking puts an IV in my arm. And the moment he flips a little switch and the drip starts, I just feel a wash of warm, positive, happy energy up my arm and down my body. And the very first time I had, I'm like, oh, fuck. That's why people do heroin. <laughs> I get it. I get it entirely. This is, it all makes I'm, like, sense. I'm like, this is terrifying. And like, it scared the shit out of me. Because of like, like I, I got it in that moment. Like, I know I'm never judging another person who tells me to do heroin because, like, I understand it entirely now. And like four days later, I was getting discharged from the hospital, and the nurse is like, "I'm gonna write you a prescription for Percocets." Like, fuck you, I'll take the ibuprofen. Like, right. like I'm right. scared shitless of opiates because of that. Like, oh yeah, and I, I, I agree. And I just, like I said, I know so many people that. Died from it. Where if there was some other thing in place, where it wasn't just hey, you're a druggie, we're gonna throw you in jail for ninety days for violating probation. But like, no, even taking the people who are irredeemable, people who just want to chase that feeling, and who I have all of the empathy in the world for understanding why they want to chase that feeling, even if I think it's a horribly suicidal and tragic feeling to chase. Um, they have no legal recourse when all there is is a black market. And I love black markets. As an agorist, I think black markets are the best markets. However, when we are dealing with a criminalized product and a scheduled product and an unregulated black market that's not even regulated by the market, there is no legal recourse. So, like, your dealer sells you tainted heroin laced with fentanyl, you end up on death's doorstep. You can't sue them. You, there's no quality control. There's no, there's no knowledge of product and like testing these things isn't difficult, but it requires a certain knowledge and access to certain chemicals. So like, to me, one of the purest and most direct forms of harm reduction would be simply allowing for quality control and market functions to weed out bad actors. And you can do that right. by legalizing it. Because if you go and get your heroin at CVS and the fucking, it's even if it's behind the counter and the pharmacist is like, well, we're going to talk about safety and doses and da, 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 da. And then like it turns out it was tainted. You can sue the shit out of CVS and their right. insurance company is going to be like, you better make sure you have good heroin. Like you never get, like you'll, like when the moment CVS gets into dealing scheduled narcotics and drugs, you're never going to find meth in your Coke again. You're never going to find fentanyl and heroin again. Um, your LSD is going to be out of this fucking world. Your Molly is going to be pure moon rock and you're going to have a great time and not have to worry about meth and dehydration. Like, where can we have, when can we get that? That is the drug future I want to see. Yeah, I... I, 
for legal reasons, this is a hypothesis. <laughs> I, I agree. And especially like I've just I've seen so much stuff like mandatory sentences happen where people get five years because they had an eight ball Coke on a Friday. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it's like the guy ruined his life. Four people wanted... is like four hours. It's like <laughs> right, right. I mean, depending like, on who the four people are. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like that's like yeah, it, it's and the fact like silly things like oh we can't get fentanyl strips uh, legalized because if we legalize that then that's saying we condone drug abuse. No, it's not. It's saying you give a shit about people who are making a choice for themselves or trapped in a cycle that they're not in a position to get out of. But also, like, who the fuck are you to tell Joe down the street who pays all his bills and goes to work every day that he can't shoot up heroin in his neck on his lunch break? <laughs> like, as long as he's not coming and trying to break in my window to steal my TV, I don't really give a shit what he does. The same way I don't want him to, you know? And it's like, people always get that, like, the slippery slope conversation with that. And it's like, you know how much restriction promotes usage? Like I spend, I have a medical marijuana card. When I first got it, I was like, dude, I I spent my whole teenage years hiding that I smoked weed from cops, employers, the whole night. I had a machine that I carried in my pants at times in case I had to piss in a cup for my job. And it was like, now I can walk into a store and buy weed. So sure, the first time I went in there, I spent 400 bucks. But then I realized <laughs> it's more expensive when you can buy weed at the fucking store because you're getting really good weed. So guess what? I just was like, hey, I don't need to smoke that much. I had a nice little weed budget now and I could go to the store when I want to and I'm not stoned all the time and I'm not some fucking degenerate. It just keeps me from killing people. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, on that note, everybody, for legal purposes and censorship purposes, but the fine folks at YouTube and Spotify, none of the content of this episode is meant to glorify or condone the use of illegal drugs or narcotics. It's purely informational and academic in its nature. It's hypothetical. It exists in the screenplay. Don't go and do what we told you we do, because we may not do what we told you we do. Allegedly, great. <laughs> right. I, I I love comedy, so comedy is all about exaggeration. Absolutely. Hey, <laughs> uh, this has been fun having you on. It's been a great conversation. You're gonna yeah, have dude, I definitely am going to have to come up and check you guys out sometime. Yeah, and definitely. Hope, if visit. you ever make your way down to PA, man, I'm just outside of Philly still. Pork Fest is coming up uh, in a few months. It's almost sold out. If those of you watching want to come up to Pork Fest, it's the greatest Liberty Festival in the world and the longest running Liberty Festival in the world, too, because we said fuck that COVID nonsense and just kind of went on. So uh, you can head over to porkfest.com, get your tickets. It's 80% sold out. We're not sponsored by Pork Fest. I do some work for the Free State Project, but uh, don't tell Dennis Pratt I'm promoting it. He'll try and take credit. So, <laughs> uh, Anthony's been great having you on. This has been real fun. Thanks, Where can everybody follow you? Uh, at Anthony Portillo on Twitter. That's the only place I'm online. So I try to keep it. I try to just work, man. You know, like I'm not, I'm not, I used to be like a loud mouth and spout out on the mouth and shit post and stuff. And now I'm like, I, I'm, I suppose <laughs> I'm going to get more involved after a convention, but and I mostly keep it pretty quiet unless hey. I feel compelled. You haven't you haven't made it till you've been canceled. So head on over to Twitter, give him a <laughs> yes. follow. Uh, also make sure you head over to O'Donnell4Liberty.com. Check out the show. We're on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, over on the air via LRN.fm. I believe there's three stations in Ohio running the show now. So if you listen to the radio, listen on the radio. Uh, we'll take the FCC fines. All good. 
everybody else it's been a great night thanks for tuning in thanks for watching leave a comment in the uh tell us what you thought about the show tell us what subjects you want me to cover in the future and don't forget you can head over to patreon join the production team join the discord chat with friends until next time be free thanks again for tuning in and joining us tonight Make sure you hit that like button and leave a comment below to let us know your thoughts. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that big red subscribe button on YouTube and turn on notifications to get alerted every time we go live. If you enjoyed this content, you can join our production team on Patreon by following the link in the description. And don't forget to follow on social media and join our community Discord channel by following the links in the description as well. The best part of all of this is the community that we're building and growing. So go ahead and join us. And thanks once again to our awesome sponsors and patrons for making all of this possible. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always catch it the next day on YouTube, Odyssey, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. So until next time, everybody, be free.